welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. This is Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are... uh thankful for a time to be together and to be together in your word and your spirit guiding us. And uh, Lord, just in your providence, this being an anniversary of a national tragedy, Lord, that we'd be speaking on the government. It's just, uh, you see your hand in that. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that you'd minister us through your word, um, a word that's uh, real difficult for some to receive. We just pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Even more, though, Lord, we pray that you would make our hearts good soil for the gospel. Lord, we know that we could come in here and we could have a stony heart. We could have the word plucked out of our heart by the evil one. Or, Lord, you can make our hearts good soil for your word, that it would dig deep into our hearts and it would provide an increase of obedience and love and faith to you. And so, Lord, you're the only one that could do that. We pray that you would. And we're so thankful for your faithfulness to us, for your love to us, that you've um, always been here for us, and so we, we come forward in that hope, in that hope of meeting with you, our Father, gathering around your table, being fed by you, and we pray that that would happen this morning and that we would leave with joy and a desire to, to be your people in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a year-long series in the book of Romans, and uh, we're here in Romans 13, and we're, we're going to look at the first seven verses and look at our response to the government. And uh, this is probably the most controversial part of Romans for uh, American Christians in 2021. When I first taught through, all the way through Romans, it was uh, 2002, and the most controversial chapter was chapter 9, 
with all of its predestination, election, all of its sovereignty of God. That was the controversial part. But I really feel like probably this year, this is the more controversial part, is this beginning part of Romans 13. And the command here in verse 1 is, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, that's never been a favorite command of God's people. Okay, Doug Moo, the big commentator that writes a great big fat commentary on Romans, he says, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of this text is the history of attempting to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. Okay, that's a commentator being sassy, by the way. And, uh, and that tradition, guys, is alive and well. There's plenty of places you could find it on YouTube. I found several this week. If you found any messages that you found really persuasive that speak differently on this text, let's talk. I'd be happy to. Just like when I said, you know, we went through Romans 9, I said, hey, if there's anything here that you want to talk about, I'd be happy to talk about it. But there's definitely a lot of messages you can find on YouTube and places like that that would do exactly what Doug Moose is saying, just try to, as, as easily as possible, make it say something totally different than it says. This command, guys, is very straightforward. Look at verse 1 again. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then if you drop down, take a look at verse 5. It says, therefore, one must be in subjection. And then in verses 6 and 7, you have the application. That's why we pay taxes. This command is also found in another form in 1 Peter 2 and Titus 3. So you can't just say, you know, it was something particular to this situation or some say to a particular time and that, you know, Rome got worse in a couple of years and it doesn't really apply to then, you know, but you've got Titus 3 and 1 Peter 2, which were written later and have this same command. Guys, one of the, the signs that this is God's word and not just the word of man is that it offends every single culture. Amen? And it offends us all in different ways, you know, and it just shamelessly walks all over our idols, Okay, and so this morning, it's our turn to be offended. And so if you feel offended, if you're like, this is a difficult word, it's our turn, okay? It's our turn. Um, why should we be subject to the government? Paul knows this could be a tough pill to swallow, and so he gives us some motivations. I see four. The first one is, he says, be subject to the government because it's established by God. Take a look at verse one. It says, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities for purpose there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. That word there, that command, be subject, it means to recognize our place in the God-given uh, authority hierarchy and to submit to those God's put above us. And whether that's in the family with wives submitting to husbands or that's kids submitting to their parents or members submitting to the leadership of the church or citizens submitting to their government, God's created this authority hierarchy. And one of the ways we show that we trust him is by being subject to the person above us. And I know that's a completely un-American thing to say, but we're dealing with an un-American book perhaps in some areas, right? Some parts we're like, oh yeah, that's great. I love that. And there's some parts that we're like, hmm, not so sure about that. That's how you know it's the word of God. It, it offends everyone. Look at verse 2. It says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, we're going to talk about the exceptions to this, okay? Hold your horses. We're going to get to that point. We're going to get to the point where we talk about exceptions. But right now, I want you to just notice this shockingly high view of government that the Bible has. This is a shockingly high view of government especially for some of us who are, you know, recovering anarchists. Anyone? Recovering anarchists? Practicing anarchists? Anyone? It's a safe place. Okay. For us, guys, this is a hard thing to hear. I mean, to hear that 
that all authority is appointed by God and that if we resist it, we're resisting him. That's an extremely high view of government. This is part, guys, of what Romans 12.2 says. It says that we shouldn't be conformed to this world's way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this is an area we need mind renewal in the area of what is the government? What, how should we look at it? What is the right way to think about it? We shouldn't assume that whatever cultural view we have is the right view. We need to look to Scripture to have our minds renewed. And that's what he's doing here. He's, he's renewing it. So the first reason to obey the government is the government is established by God. Secondly, be subject to the government because it's generally a good thing. Government is a good gift from God. In fact, even bad governments are usually better than no government at all, right? In general, governments do good things. They reward good behavior and they punish bad behavior. That's what he says in verse 3. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do good and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on evildoers. Okay, now of course there's exceptions. But in general, even a corrupt, inept, and somewhat oppressive government is better than no government at all. Anybody read the book The Road? Okay, that, that's a good image of like what it would be like to have no government. Or you could think of the book of Judges. You know, it says in the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was a very dark time in Israel because of lack of government. There was some, but not as much as there should be. And so having a king, it turns out, was better for Israel, even though some of those kings were terrible, right? So even a, a bad government's better than no government. Government is a good gift from God, especially ours, by the way, guys. We're so negative. <laughs> it's funny because on the one hand, we're extremely patriotic, and on the other hand, we hate the government. So I'm like, I don't know how these fit together. Aren't they the same thing? You know, like, Hate that, love that, you know, like it's, we're really weird about it. But government is a good gift from God. Be subject to the government because it's God's servant. Did you notice what Paul called the government and its members? He said they're servants of God. Isn't that wild? The word there is diakonos, the word that we get deacon from. In verse 4, he says that the government is God's servant. If you drop down to verse 6, it gives even more interesting because he says they're God's minister. And that word minister is used in the Septuagint of those who ministered in the temple, right? And so the government is serving a function for God. They're doing ministry for God. And the ministry they're doing, this passage says, is keeping justice, keeping justice. The government has the authority to punish and to keep justice. You see that in verse four, he says, for he does not bear the sword in vain. You know, the government's given the ability to punish and to keep justice. It says that he's, he's God's servant. It even says it's stronger. The government is an avenger bringing God's wrath. You ever think of the government that way? It's interesting, huh? So there is a future day of wrath, you know, the final judgment when God gives his full wrath and justice. But in the short term, in the present, God's wrath is actually shown through the justice system of governments. There's a future wrath and there's a present wrath. When the government acts justly and punishes evildoers, it's acting as God's servant and the government's wrath is God's wrath in this text. That it's one way in which God punishes evildoers. For you, those of you here that are police officers, we have you know, Darnell and Dustin and Matt and Sean who attend this church that are um, police officers. You guys are serving a vital function in this good role of government. We're super thankful for you guys because you not only protect us, but you're actually acting as God's agents of justice. 
You know, when you apprehend somebody, you're a part of this system, which God says is very good in punishing those who do evil. Actually, the courts do that. You just apprehend them and put them into the system. But the punishments that are given out by the court are God's wrath on that person's sin. And they're not only that, but they are a preview of the wrath to come. And so, for those of you who are the police officers, and you get frustrated because you apprehend somebody, and you put them into that system, and justice doesn't seem to happen, and then they come out the other end, you see them on the street again, and you put them back in, and they go through the system again, and it seems like a revolving door, and it's super frustrating. I've talked to you guys about this. Know that you're serving a really important function, not only in protecting us, but they're getting a preview of the day of judgment when they run into you and when they run into that system. None of those people that you've apprehended will be able on the final day to say, I didn't know. (laughs) I I didn't know there was judgment coming. They actually had a preview of judgment every time they ran into you in our system. Victims. I think this is an important text to think about for those who are uh, victims of abuse. God wants you, if you've been abused, God wants you to report it to his ministers of justice. God wants you to do that, okay? He wants you to report this. You report it to the ministers of the church, but it needs to be reported also, and more importantly even, to the ministers of justice in the legal system. That's why God gave you them. God gave you these ministers of justice so that you won't have to avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God. Remember the text from last week gave gave that wonderful message, and in verse 19 of chapter 12, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. By you, if you're abused, reporting that to the legal authorities, you're not avenging yourselves, you're leaving it to the wrath of God. That short-term wrath, it's through the legal system. God is going to execute his wrath in the short term through that, and that's not you avenging yourself, that's you actually doing what God would have you to do, which is to leave it to God to take care of. So report it. You know, that's how you do that. Law enforcement, legal system are God's earthly avenger. You know, and perhaps your abuser, if they experience the earthly wrath through the minister of justice, they'll repent and not face the final judgment. That's what this system is for, is partly to warn those who are evildoers that there is a wrath to come. It's a preview. And um, so that's really important. We should obey the government because it's God's servant should obey the government because we're doing as unto God. Look at verse 5. So he kind of does a little review here, and he says the command again. It's only been four verses, you know, but we need it. So we're going to hear it again. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only for God's wrath, but also for conscience sake. I think here when he says God's wrath, he means earthly wrath through God's ministers of justice. And what he's saying is that we, we need to be in subjection to the government, not just because we're worried about the earthly consequences of what the government might do to us, but more importantly, out of for sake of conscience, that we do it because we are aware that God has a purpose in the, in the government, in the authorities he's established, he's placed over us, and we trust God enough to obey that authority he's put over us. And, and then he gives a really concrete example in verses 6 through 7. You guys will love this too. For because of this, you also pay taxes. I find this interesting. This isn't a command. This is an observation. He's like, you guys pay taxes. He, he assumes they do. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, there it is again, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what you owe, tax to whom tax, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Nothing says, I submit to the government, like giving them your money. Okay, that's why this is a great concrete example, is that paying taxes is something that shows submission to the government. It's also a great example of submitting to the government out of conscience, not out of fear of consequence, because taxes have always been 
easy to avoid pain. Okay, this has always been one area that people could avoid things. You know, I, I wrestled with that early in my career, get paid a lot in cash, you know, and all the people around me were like, oh yeah, you don't want to report that. You don't want to pocket that. Just report the stuff that comes in through credit cards and checks, stuff you have to report. So it was this wrestle early on in my career about this. And it was actually, I was preaching through Romans, this is 2002, and if the IRS is listening, go after those 01 taxes. But uh, I, was, I was preaching through Romans, and I'm like, I'm making Romans 9, Romans 10. And I know Romans 13 is coming, you know, but I'm still continuing to do this. A little tax evasion here, put the cash away. And, but you know it's coming. You know how it is when you're reading through the Bible and you go like, well, maybe I'll just stop in 12. But I had the accountability of this whole college ministry, you know, and they're watching me. I get to 13, and I'm like, all right, it's time. It's time to stop that. We do it for conscience sake. Paul was actually writing this about taxes because in that time, in 56 and 57, he wrote the letter in 57. In 56 and 57, there was a a big tax revolt because the taxes were incredibly high. And Nero, I mean, as much of a scumbag as he was, he actually considered like lowering the taxes because there was such an uprising. And so Paul's like, don't get involved in that. You know, don't get involved in that. Uh, Paul's picking up on Jesus' teaching in, in Luke 12. Jesus was asked in Luke 12, somebody came up to him and said, is it lawful to pay tax to Caesar? And he says, um, let me see a denarius. You know, he shows him the coin. And he goes, whose inscription is this? And they go, Caesar. And he gives, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? On the coin was, a, was the image of Caesar, but on you is the image of God. And so you give a percentage to Caesar and you give your whole self to the Lord, right? Okay, a couple of objections. This is what you've been waiting for. What if the government does evil? Okay. What about a government that, say, supports and funds abortion, spreads confusion about sexual issues and gender and marriage, and is every day moving more and more away from biblical foundations? What about a government that, like that, hypothetically? Okay. What about a government like that? Okay. You know, certainly Paul would not want us to submit to a government like that, right? One, thing to, one observation first is that all governments do evil to some degree because they're run by sinners, and so if we're going to go, hey, we're only going to submit to good authorities, how good do they have to be? How are we going to measure that? You see what we get into? It'd be really easy all the time to go like, well, that authority's no good, you know, don't have to submit to that anymore. I don't think that ancient Rome would have ever lived up to your standards of good, by the way, okay? Not even in the good point. Heard one guy, bless his heart, he was preaching on this text, and he was like, you know, this was written when Nero was behaving better, and he started behaving badly. It probably only applied to those two years. And I'm like, bless your little heart. No, it can't work that way. You know, it can't work that way. Let me remind you some things about the historical context. Because if you're thinking like, okay, maybe this doesn't apply if my government's bad, or it's doing bad things, or it gets worse. Let me remind you of the historical context. Paul wrote Romans 13 while his own homeland Israel was under the domination of Rome, right? And this is the government he's saying to submit to. His homeland's under their domination. Also, in 57 AD, when this was written, uh, the Roman emperor was Nero. Okay, two years after he wrote this letter, Nero began his legendary cruelty. He starts with killing his own mother, Agrippina. He tried to kill her a few different ways, finally just went for a direct route. Nero was not only cruel, he was theatrically cruel. He was creatively cruel. Historian Tom Holland said that he doesn't know of any world leader before or since that was as artistic as Nero. He was a very artistic person. He was an actor. He was a born performer. But he loved to shock people with violence. He was kind of similar to like Heath Ledger's The Joker, right? This is a theatrical, creative, 
enjoyed shocking people with acts of violence. In fact, after he killed his mother in 59 AD, he went on stage to do a little performance, and the play was, the main character was a person trying to decide whether or not to kill their mother. Okay, so this is like, you know, a public confession without remorse in a really artistic way. Okay, when the great fire burned Rome, two-thirds of it burned down in six days in 50, uh, 64 AD. Uh, Nero blamed the Christians. He started a persecution. Um, Nero, because he loved to shock people, he would not only crucify Christians, but he would dip them in pitch and use them as tiki torches at his parties. Okay, this is a guy that liked to see a reaction. You know, he not only was cruel, but he loved to see a reaction. In fact, Paul himself, the one who wrote this letter 10 years later, was beheaded at the command of Nero in this very city. Nero is so bad that he appeared as the beast in the book of Revelation. His number in Hebrew equals 666. So, I think this applies still to bad governments. You know? I mean, I'm like you. I'm as American as the rest of you. You know, I'm trying to find a way out. But I think this, is, this applies to bad governments. Okay, next thing. Is it ever right to disobey the government? Who wants to hear this one? So do I, Okay. You might wonder, when can we disobey the government, okay? How do we know? Okay, well, one thing I can say is that there are some cases in which it's the only right thing is to disobey the government, okay? That this command here is not just a a total command without exception. And we know that from the rest of Scripture. I'm not just going to pull these out of nowhere. It's going to come out of Scripture. There are some times that the only right response is to disobey the government. But first, before I get into those, and I know you want those, I just want to say, check your heart, Okay? Check your heart. That's a Christian thing to say, right? Some people have authority issues. You know who you are, okay? Or your spouse does. My wife once gave me one of the, you know those little CCF booklets, little counseling booklets? She gave me as a gift one that was called Authority Issues. And, and I still haven't read it. And, uh, but I still have it. I'm not ready. But guys, check your heart. We're not a very compliant people culturally. Like, I don't know if you guys realize, like, we're super feisty, okay? We're super feisty, and I get it. Like, my whole generation has authority issues. I'm Gen X, and most of us were not helicopter-parented like some of you. We were, like, totally free-range. You know, as a kid, I was dropped off at the beach all day, like in elementary school, middle school, drop off at the beach. You guys drop your kids off at the beach in middle school? Oh, okay. You were, though. You were, okay. Dropped off at lakes, at malls, at abandoned buildings, like... (laughs) All kinds of places, right? In elementary school, my bus stop was across a highway from my house. I literally ran across a highway every, way, every day in elementary school to get home, okay? And so we were free range. We were unsupervised. No one told us what to do, and it was awesome. It was awesome. But it also means that, like, I wasn't taught to be told what to do, you know? So I'm having to learn that as an adult. Guys, we're Americans, Think about it. like one of our flags was literally a snake that said, don't step on me. There it is on your phone case. Like what kind of people are these? You know, like I have an idea. Let's make a flag. What should it be? A snake that says, don't step on us. We bite. I was like, whoa, okay. So I just say, check your heart. Make sure you're not just feisty and make sure that your mind has actually been transformed and renewed by Romans 13 first. And the other thing I want to say before I give you the exceptions is that we have a huge advantage over the Romans, okay? We have a huge advantage in that we're able to engage our government for change through, you know, protests, peaceful protests, strikes, through the polls, through the courts. We're blessed in our country that our highest authority is not an elected official or an unelected official. It's a document, the Constitution. You guys realize how big of a blessing that is? 
that, you know, whoever we elect, you know, whatever happens, like, they're not actually the highest authority. It's the Constitution. It's incredible. Like, we have an incredible gift here. And so you could appeal through the courts so that they would rule according to the Constitution. They can be shut down by that ruling. And so before you disobey the government, I would just ask you, have you first used every lawful means for change? Have you used every lawful means? Because we're a funny people. We go from, like, super angry and passive to super angry and unruly, and we didn't do anything in between. So, like, you might have spent years in front of your computer, you know, making comments and being passive and angry, and then just go do something crazy. You had a lot of other options in between, right? You had a lot of other options in between. So, I think, guys, I mean, one of the things you got to realize is that you guys are the most powerful citizens in history, okay? So, I think we're going to be judged to a stricter standard on this command, right? Because we had a lot more options than the Romans did. Let every person be subjection to the ruling authorities. So back to the question, is it ever right? Sometimes the only right thing to do is to disobey the government. When is that? When they order you to sin by commission or omission. So the government is ordering you to sin in doing something, or they're ordering you to sin in not doing something that's been commanded. You have to disobey. Just like you have to in every other area of authority in your life. You know, no authorities are absolute. Husbands are not absolute. Parents are not absolute. You know, the government's not absolute. Church leadership is not absolute, right? You are duty-bound to disobey if they are asking you to sin. Let me give you some biblical examples. The Hebrew midwives, they spared the male infants, and they lied about it, right? In Exodus 1. You know, they're like, oh, they're not like the Egyptian women. They have babies faster. That's a lie, okay? Like, that's made up, okay? So they lied. They covered it up. What does this tell us? This tells us that we can disobey the government in, in caring for and hiding people and lying about it, okay? So there's no biblical warrant for being like a German just following orders, right? Can't do that, right? We've got the example here that you need to save people's lives and you're free to lie about it. I think you're obligated to, actually. Um, unfortunately, there are no verses in here about that we can kill Hitler. And I looked really hard, but thankfully he's dead. So we don't need to worry about that. Okay, next one. Dead Hitler, not funny, okay. Rahab, hiding the Hebrew spies and lying about it. Another example, Joshua 2. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. They're put in the fiery furnace. They're commended for that. We know clearly that that was the right thing to do. Can't worship false idols. Daniel, refusing to pray to Darius, praise to God instead. Put in the lion's den, commended for that, okay? Disobeying the government. Peter and the apostles refused to stop sharing the gospel. They said, we must obey God rather than men. Even see other acts, like Paul evades arrest in Jerusalem, lower down the wall in a basket. You know, that's definitely evading arrest. It's in the context of missions. Peter's jailbreak, of course, you know, the angel opened the door, but he definitely broke out of jail. That's disobedience to the government. The book of Revelation clearly commands believers not to worship the image of the emperor and, and to die if necessary doing that. So we must disobey the government if they command us to, uh, to sin, either by omission or commission. And so, in a setting of oppression, we're not only free to, but we must smuggle Bibles, plant illegal churches, share an outlawed gospel, protect the lives of others through deception, refuse to worship false gods, never renounce Jesus, and gather weekly, illegally as a church. You have to. It's not that you have the option to. On that last one, you might want to start practicing it now gathering every week. Some people are like, I'm really big on religious liberty. I'm like, oh yeah, where were you Sunday? (laughs) Whenever we disobey the government, guys, though, we need to do it respectfully, okay? We don't do it in a showy kind of social media posting kind of way. Give you an example. Last year, 
Finally found a place we could meet. We met in a school before this, if you weren't with us. And then we lost the ability to meet in the school. And then we finally found somewhere to meet. And then, like, we're all excited. We're going to be able to meet again together. And then, you know, they say, you can't sing. It was, like, the week before we're going to meet. And, and we did, okay? And, you know, we didn't do anything dramatic about it. We didn't go, like, I'm singing. I'm singing in church. Like, we didn't do any of that, right? We weren't showy about it. We just did it, okay? The next week, it was like you can't meet, but we did. We just met, and we weren't showy about it, and we weren't really secret about it either because we were right across the street from the police department, so, like, it was, you know, it wasn't like hiding either, but we weren't posting on social media and making a big deal, guys. When we disobey the government, it's not for the applause of people with authority issues. I think there's a huge motivation to do that right now, to, like, disobey the government as a way of just kind of, you know, getting the applause of other people with authority issues. We don't do it because for that reason. We do that out of the loyalty to King Jesus. Because, guys, human authority is never ultimate. Jesus' authority is ultimate. Take a look at Matthew 28, 18. Jesus says this. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority on heaven and earth have been given to Jesus. And so one thing we can't do, and we should never do, is allow the government to hinder that mission. He's given us a clear mission. And so there'll be times, probably, maybe not, maybe never again, I don't know. But there'll be times when we'll have to just keep moving forward, you know? And uh, we're not doing it, raising a flag and dancing around and, you know, stuff like that. But we're just going to keep being the church. And guys, the, the cool thing I want to just tell you, this, uh, leave you with is that Jesus' kingdom will prevail, right? Jesus' kingdom will prevail. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is that Jesus' kingdom will prevail. And it was first announced to Adam and Eve. You remember, Adam and Eve sinned against God. They plunge this whole world under the tyranny of the authority of Satan and sin, right? And so there's this tyranny that comes in. And in Genesis 3.15, it's promised that one day a child would be born that would crush the head of the serpent and set all things right. That, that a good government, a great kingdom is going to come through this child. The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus is the true king of the world. And that he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to bring his kingdom fully here. It's already here to some degree. It's not, already not yet. But it, it will break into this place completely. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Like, that's coming here. Like, not like, oh, yeah, we're going to do that in the clouds. No, we're going to do that here. God's kingdom is going to come here. David was promised this king would be a descendant of his, an everlasting king. Isaiah was promised this, that of the increase of Jesus' government and peace, there would be no end. And his throne would be the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness forever. Isn't that awesome? His, his, the increase of Jesus' government will increase and have no end. Daniel prophesied about Jesus' kingdom, and it's going to include all peoples of the world. It says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. I think you guys need to hear that. I think you guys might feel a little embattled. And I think you might need to know that like, the kingdom of God is unstoppable. When Jesus came and when he was born, he was actually greeted as a king, remember? The Magi came, greeted him as king. Herod greeted him as a king in a different way, hunted him, tried to kill him as a rival king. When Jesus taught, he taught about the good news of the kingdom. A lot of times we don't recognize that, but he was teaching about his kingdom coming. When he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was welcomed as king, right? Hosanna, save us. And they're putting down on their, their cloaks and he's coming in as a king. 
When Jesus was tried and condemned by Pilate, it was for his claims to be the true king, the king that's over Caesar. When the soldiers mocked Jesus, they mocked him as king, right? They dressed him up in purple. They put a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his hands. And they bowed, mock bowed down to him, and then they beat him to a pulp as a king, right? Pilate, when he crucified Jesus, he put a sign over the cross. This is something God's having him do. That said, king of the Jews. He was crucified as a king. And when Jesus died, the rulers of this world, they breathed a sigh of relief. And they're like, well, that takes care of that, right? We got that taken care of. Not to worry about him anymore, right? They told the soldiers, make it as secure as you can. <laughs> I love that. They put the stone in front. And they did. They made it as secure as they could. And Jesus came right out, right? He rose again from the dead as a king. And this is the cool thing, guys, is that Jesus' submission to death by Rome is what God used to conquer Rome. Isn't that amazing? 1 Corinthians 2 says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't realize that Jesus was defeating the power of evil and saving us by specifically doing Romans 13.1. Right? The forgiveness of your sins and the conquering of all evil in the world was done by Jesus obeying Romans 13.1 by laying it down his life and submitting to death through an evil state. Now Jesus has ascended as king. The cool thing is Jesus has ascended as king and his father has said to him the words of Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's the stage we're in now. This is what is happening right now through Jesus' church. Is that Jesus is conquering his enemies through the spread of the gospel. And I know it looks like weakness. And this is one thing that really bothers us culturally is we're like, yeah, but that looks weak, you know? And I know that the triumph of the church does look weak at times. It's like, it's like sheep among wolves. You know, it's really popular right now to say, I'm no sheep. It's like, well, that's awkward for a Christian, you know? <laughs> it looks like sheep among wolves, right? It looks, it looks weak when Jesus did it too, didn't it? Didn't it look weak when Jesus did it? Didn't it look weak when he was hanging on the cross? Might look weak, guys, but God's enemies know better. They're terrified of the spread of the gospel, it's one thing you see from church history is all these totalitarian states are totally terrified of the church. The church, it's crazy, isn't it? What are they so afraid of? It happened in Rome. It was a nation that, was, that fearlessly conquered the whole known world, and they became totally terrified of the growth of the church. I was reading this week in uh, Celsus' attack on the church. I think it's on Right Doctrine or something. It was written in 185 by this guy Celsus. He's a Greek philosopher. And you can just hear all his attacks on the church. It's kind of cool because you can kind of see what the church believed to some degree from this book. And he's terrified of the spread of the gospel. He's terrified of the destruction of the Roman Empire and, and, its, and its idols and its gods. Guys, Roman power is useless if the people's allegiance is to King Jesus. A couple centuries later, you hear uh, Emperor Julian, Julian the Apostate. He says this about the Christian faith. He says, it's, he says it's been spreading specifically through the loving service rendered to strangers, through their care for the burial of the dead. And it's, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, that's what he called the Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. He's terrified of this good doing, right? It's, he's in a panic. Why? Because, guys, you know, Roman power has no purpose if, if the people's allegiance is to Jesus. He's afraid of the peaceful spread of the church. And he was right to be afraid. If we look at history, God conquered Rome specifically by Christians living Romans 13. And the same thing's happening in China right now. How's the spread of the gospel happening in China? Guys, our people right now in China are overcoming the evil empire of, of communist China very slowly, 
but truly through Romans 13. They submit to the government, except in the area that they spread the gospel, they spread the scriptures, and they gather weekly illegally. And just like in ancient Rome, it terrifies the Communist Party there. You guys realize there's 68 million Christians in China right now. 68 million Christians in China right now. More believers gather on Sunday in China than in Europe. And think of how they gather. You know, they're like, oh, I'm tired this week. Man, I had a rough night last night. It's like they're gathering underground, more of them than gathering in Europe where it's easy to do, right? The, the state's power there, guys, is useless if the people's allegiance is to King Jesus. And their numbers of Christians in China gr- have been growing by 10% since 1979. In 10 years, they're going to have more Christians than we have in the U.S. And get this, if it goes on this rate in 2050, they're going to be a majority Christian nation. How would that change the world? Think about changing the world. How would that change the world if that happens? Like in some of you's lifetimes, I won't point out which ones. Um, but by 2050, a majority Christian nation, you think, well, I want to do something more powerful. Okay? God subdues evil empires through the spread of the gospel, through our relentless, you know, stubborn, loving resistance to evil and our obedience to Jesus. Book of Revelation put it this way. They conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. Guys, we stay faithful to Jesus and each other no matter what, and that's how God conquers evil. Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable, you know? Like our earthly kingdoms, they are stoppable. Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable. G.K. Chesterton said this. He says, Christianity has appeared to die many times and rise again because it has a God who knew his way out of the grave. Right? As we have a kingdom that can't be stopped. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I just want to tell you guys, you guys have the privilege of announcing the good news of that kingdom And as you announce it, more people come to believe in Jesus. The kingdom grows and breaks into this world more and more. And no evil ruler can stop that. You want to be subversive? You want to, you know, see evil come crashing down? That would be the place to do it. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I would just say to you, now would be a great time to change sides. Wouldn't it? It's an unstoppable kingdom. Now would be a great time to change sides. The good news is, is that this unstoppable king has laid down his life on the cross for his enemies. Who does that? Colossians 1 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have a redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As your sin, our sin, is a declaration of war against God. But instead of crushing us, he was crushed for us. God himself became a man. He endured the wrath our sins deserve. And if this morning, if you just surrender to this king, he'll forgive all your sin and he'll transfer you into his kingdom. And not only that, God will welcome you as his very own kid. Guys, he's the king you want. When you talk about rulers, good ones, bad ones, this is the king you want. This is the king you've always wanted. He's the only good king. Come to him. Let's pray. Father, we're... uh, we're thankful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in this world as people who believe that. Lord, the world does not need to see shaken Christians. The world needs to see Christians that know that they've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Father, we're thankful that the king you've given us is your son himself. 
you say in the Psalms, kiss the son lest he be angry. And Lord, we happily, happily submit to and kiss the son. So thankful for Jesus. Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper and we remember the way in which we've been reconciled to you, we pray that we would take it with grateful hearts. Grateful hearts that know that we're in good standing with the King. That we're sons and daughters of the King. That we're in the family of the King. And that the coming of his kingdom is only good news to us. Or give us a vision for what that will be like. When heaven and earth come together and the world is made new. When you wipe away every tear from our eyes. When you set all wrongs right. When you push back the curse. When you fill the world with joy and love and peace. And we're looking forward to being with you in that place. And enjoying the world that you have made for us in creation. And the world that you have recreated for us through the blood of your son Jesus. What better news could there be than this? Make us faithful to tell it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.